I wish, I wish we had time this morning to sit and share with one another. Thank you, Bing. If you've ever planted something, how did it go? And who in here would be kind of the quote-unquote what? Green thumbs, I guess is how you go. You can tell it's not me. But wouldn't it be very interesting to tell and share with one another, probably with joy and laughter and thanksgiving, some of our favorite planting stories and how they went. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, as I welcomed you, we're going to transition to another chapter of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And this is the first time that Jesus introduces a parable when he's speaking to the crowds or his disciples, uh, to his followers. Last week in Pastor Curtis's message, he spoke, Mark said in chapter 3, in parables to the scribes as they challenged him in his authority. But this is the first time that Jesus begins to share parables with those who were closest to him. You know, I often remember growing up living at 67 East Main Street in Leola, Pennsylvania, Lancaster County. And every late spring, my dad out in the garden with a rototiller. Does anybody know what a rototiller is? Yeah? And I just remember getting the big garden ready. And then, not old enough to operate that piece of equipment, but couldn't wait till he was done so that we could help plant the various things that we planted each year. Corn and potatoes, green beans and spinach. And I just had this as I began to prepare for this message, this idea of that ground that had been sitting around through the cold winter, getting churned and rototillered up, getting prepared to receive the seed of vegetables and, and plants. And so you might ask, as we get ready to hear from God's word today, what is a parable? And so I found a simple definition, and there might be others, but a parable is a comparison drawn between a simple earthly picture and a singular spiritual truth. Jesus was very good about using the common images or experiences of the day to communicate a spiritual truth. So we're going to pray before we hear from continue to hear from God's word from Mark chapter 4, but as we pray, let's ask together, relying upon the Holy Spirit, what is that spiritual truth that Jesus wants us to encounter in his word? And that may be different for each of us here today. Isn't that amazing how the Holy Spirit can do that? And so let's pray, and I want you to ask as we pray, God, speak to me your truth. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would take our time together in your word and that you would speak into our lives, that you would kind of be churning that soil of our hearts and preparing it to receive the good news of the gospel, maybe for the very first time, but maybe in a new and a fresh way. 
And Jesus, only you can do that. So have your way with each of us here today. And we ask it in your name. And God's people say, if you want to open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4, we're going to read through the first 20 verses. A lot of your Bibles, or probably even in the, the Pew Bible, will be entitled what? The Parable of the Sower. And I humbly submit to you that we need to add on to that. The power, Parable of the Sower, the Seed, and the Soil. And so let's listen to God's word together this morning. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And by the way, this is entirely possible. I had the privilege of standing way up on the edge in the fields of the by the Sea of Galilee, and the guide standing down by water's edge, a natural amphitheater. Not unhurt, no, no microphone, right? This is entirely possible that Jesus could teach strategically from a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and hundreds if not thousands of people could hear him. Fascinating. Verse 2. He taught them many things by parables. And his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said what? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He talked about the path. He talked about the rocky places. He talked about the thorns. And he talked about good dirt, healthy soil. And then in verse 10, the scene shifts. It's like we shift to a different time. Because verse 10 tells us what? Jesus is no longer by the sea in the boat teaching the crowds. Verse 10 says, when he was what? Alone. The 12 and the others around him ask about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is in parables. So that, and he's quoting Isaiah 6 here, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? 
How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed, sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is God's word to us today. The parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. What spiritual truth does Jesus want to speak to you as by his grace, this image of he is the potter, and we are the clay being molded and shaped, being rototillered, and prepared to receive his word anew and afresh. Friends, this is God's word to us today. The crowds are so large. Mark addresses his attention to those crowds around Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. But as we probably know, it's not about the magnitude and the number of those that are listening. Jesus is looking spiritually among the great throng of people into their very hearts. How many have thorns and thistles and rocks and stones and are hardened He gives this parable in which the same word soil shows up several times throughout it. And the various soils of the parable are the people that are there listening to him. You might have hardened hearts there. You might have shallow hearts there. Strangled hearts there. Open hearts there. We might honestly also ask as we continue to walk our way through this text, well, why do just some of the people have open and receptive hearts? Why are others there caught in the thorns and thistles and rocks and hardened? Are they born that way? Do some people work harder to become more spiritually sensitive? You know, quite honestly, verses 10 through 12 of this text are hard. That's a hard saying. Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah. God has to change the heart, Jesus is teaching us, before it can receive the word. He has to take out the hard heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. This heart change is the defining difference between the disciples and the crowd. 
Jesus grabs the disciples and explains to them in a deeper, more spiritual way what God is up to with Jesus in front of them. The parable of the sower, the seed, and the dirt illustrates first God's lavish offer of salvation. Do you believe, friends, that Jesus loves you? Do you believe that his love knows no bounds? This is what Jesus is sharing, God's lavish offer of salvation. And also, even as it is today, a mixed reception of such good news. Why isn't every seat in this church and every church in our nation and the world packed out? Why aren't crowds running to hear the good news of Jesus today like never before? God's lavish offer of salvation still is met with resistance. And yet, Mark isn't the only gospel that tells this story. Matthew and Luke do as well often known as the synoptic gospels. But it's powerful, friends, when all three of those gospels pick up this story of God's offer of salvation. The parable is true to what is known about ancient Palestinian culture. Listen to this. The sower wasn't being careless by wasting seed In ancient Palestinian culture, unlike the modern method where you rototiller first and then plant the seed, the seed was sown first and then plowed under. So you get this picture of a man or a woman with an apron over their shoulder walking and reaching in and just casting seed wherever they were going. Casting seed. Of course some would land on the path. Of course some would land on rocky soil that would only be unearthed when it was plowed. Of course there was thorns and thistles. And of course some of those seed found what? Good dirt. But only one element of what Jesus shares in this parable is unusual. It's not the path, it's not the stones, it's not the thorns, it's not the good soil. Only one thing is unusual, the super abundant harvest. When the sower would sow those seeds, if you got seven to ten heads of grain, you were having a good year. You were thankful But what does Jesus say the good dirt produces? 30, 60, or 100 fold. Far more abundantly is God's lavish love and offer seeking to find the good dirt. The good dirt. This story should not be called in my humble opinion, that just the parable of the sower, more emphasis is placed on the different kinds of soil and this opportunity of the super abundant harvest. And this all explains, friends, how the gospel is received. 
And yet Jesus is honest. Jesus is honest. The word secret that is used in verse 11, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God is only used here in the gospel of Mark. It is only used in Luke and Matthew to describe this very parable as well. Not until the Apostle Paul does this secret or this mystery be used. Jesus is focusing in on the special divine revelation that here the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom comes with Jesus because he is the king. And he can sow the seed of the gospel into your heart and it can return not only in your life an abundant blessing of forgiveness and love, but it also calls and equips you to go out and do what? Share the good news likewise. God told the prophet Isaiah to deliver his message even though it would be rejected. And Jesus quotes part of that message from Isaiah 6 as well. The seeing without perceiving, the hearing without the understanding, the failure to turn and be forgiven were were the result, not the purpose of Jesus' message. So let's not be discouraged. There is the solid path. There are the rocks. There are the thistles and the thorns out there. But friends, there is also good dirt. Amen? There is also good dirt. And is your heart being rototillered up today to receive in a new and powerful way this lavish offer of God's love. But our hearts can be hard. Our hearts can be selfish. I do want us to look briefly this morning, particularly at one source of where the seed could land amidst the thorns. I think if anything jumped out at me in this passage this time, maybe in terms of my own life, is that we all have those thorns and thistles that we deal with, right? Every year, every year, if you're trying to take good care of a lawn, you've got to fertilize it because one of my most unfavorite weeds is that dandelion, right? <laughs> Kids love them, you know, especially when they go to seed and they blow everywhere. And what are they doing? They're just spreading the weeds. But we have, to, we have to apply fertilizer to our lawns if we want to take care of, as best we can, the thorns and thistles. You know, last Sunday I had the opportunity to watch a church service online. Um, I did peek in on this service, too, a little bit as well. But as I was getting ready to watch a, a television program um, with my mom... The ending of the previous one was, was concluding. And my heart was broken. And let me tell you why. I don't share this in judgment. But I share this because I just see thorns and thistles of the gospel message saying, if you just sow your $1,000 seed, you're going to become a millionaire. And you could write in and get Psalm 115, a book about it, and it's all about how to be a follower of Jesus and to be a millionaire. 
And my heart, friends, was just breaking. Because I see the good news of the gospel message being, you know, I just see the thorns and the thistles growing up. And this, especially this idea um, that verse 18 and 19 talk about. When you hear the word, when you hear God's truth, when you hear the gospel, but what does it say? The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and what? Choke the word, making it unfruitful. Prosperity tends to give a false sense of self-sufficiency, security, and well-being. My heart is also breaking that I don't know where all this sports gambling came from out of the blue all of a sudden, right? You can't watch a football game or a baseball game or any sport anymore and have the opportunity to, to bet. We're discerning that as a people of California this election season, right? About online gaming. It just doesn't make any sense. And part of the proceeds are going to help those who have a gambling addiction. Well, I But what I did learn is the transition towards legal sports betting began in 2018 when the Supreme Court ruled that a 1992 federal law prohibiting the activity was unconstitutional. This landmark decision paved the way for states to legalize sports betting, and each year more and more states have begun to offer residents the opportunity to put some skin in the game. A sociologist said, he described this change as massive. One for society with implications for addiction and the future of sports. He said the de facto legalization of sports betting by the Supreme Court was probably the biggest social change in America since the repeal of the prohibition in 1933. Interesting. And sometimes, friends, in the midst of the good news of the gospel, thorns and thistles can pop up. It's not money that's the problem. It's, as First Timothy talks about, what? The love of money can be the root of all kinds of evil and spur the, the growth of those thistles and thorns. Paul's final charge to Timothy at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Friends, I want us to go back to that good dirt scene, that healthy soil scene that Jesus explained. This idea of a picture of flourishing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, flourishing in receiving his love, being blessed more than we deserve. It's God's grace. Being blessed to be called a child of God. Jesus is making no mistake when he says healthy soil, good dirt, produces 30, 60, 100 times fold. I think of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, where he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, this extravagant love. And to know that his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then specifically thinking of 30, 60, 100. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. According to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people say... Amen. This is the flourishing. This is the blessing that Jesus wants to plant in you and have you plant and bear fruit in others like Colossians told us today. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I was challenged this last Presbytery meeting as we gathered for Southern California Presbytery. We were, we had a, a we had, an out, um, we had a session on evangelism, right? A session on evangelism. And instead of just getting a lecture on how to go plant in healthy soil, we were given a, a sheet where we were to write six names of people who we are to pray for, that we might be, be sharing how, how God's love impacted us. And we heard from others who also shared names. And we're praying for one another. We're trying to take that rototiller work that God's doing in our hearts and minds and pray that he's doing a rototiller work in others' hearts and minds so that as God's seed is sown, the good news of the gospel is sown. It lands on good dirt. So ask God to make you messy. Ask God to make you healthy. Ask God to make you muddy so that the seeds of his love and grace will be planted deep and that you will just boil over. (laughs) 30 to 60 and 100 times. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for your love that reached out to us. And we acknowledge that we are people with hard hearts with rocky places, with thorns and thistles. And yet your grace is sufficient. You keep sowing the good news of the gospel. And we trust, Lord, that it will land in healthy, fertile ground. And as it does and as it produces fruit, giving honor and glory to you, may others receive and be planted with the truth of your unfailing love as well. Thank you, Lord, for first loving us. We love you, and we seek to be faithful for the fruit that you are cultivating in the depths of our heart and mind and soul. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.